0: Welcome to the Series 6 Exam Prep, podcast lessons for the FINRA Series 6 Exam. This podcast is to assist you in preparing for the FINRA Series 6 Exam. But what is the FINRA Series 6 Exam? The FINRA Series 6 Exam is an exam for those who wish to sell investment company products. It's much different from the Series 7 Exam, which is the General Securities Representative Exam, Typically, this is an entry-level exam that allows you to sell basically mutual funds and investment company products and, as such, is a much easier exam to pass than the Series 7 exam. Now, concurrent with taking this exam, you must also pass the Securities Industries Essentials exam. In reality, you should take the Securities Industries Essentials exam before you take the Series 6 exam. It will help prepare you for the exam. This podcast is going to give you sample portions of the lessons contained in the full bundle of audio lessons for the Series 6 exam prep, audio lessons for the FINRA Series 6 exam. This is an audio course of 8 hours and 44 minutes in length, and there are 20 individual lessons in the full bundle of audio lessons. The full bundle of audio lessons is available at series six and that's the number six lessons.com. Again, wwwseries 6 lessonscom If you like the samples that you're hearing here, and if you would like to try four full length audio lessons, you can go to the website and sign up to receive the four full sample lessons to help determine if you think these audio lessons would be valuable for you. All right, enough of an introduction. Let's get on to this sample lesson. This is a sample of lesson number 16, Communications. The full audio lesson is 26 minutes and 7 seconds.
1: Welcome to this lesson on the FINRA Series 6 exam. This is Unit 4, Part 2. We'll keep you on talking about regulatory fundamentals and business developments. I will present some of the material, then I will go ahead and let you quiz yourself. You can go back and see if you have successfully learned what you meant to learn, and then you can go ahead and move on if you are doing well, and if not, you can go back and review you've already learned. So let's go ahead and get started. So first I want to talk about communications, especially communications with the public. So these have to be approved and monitored by a principal and copies have to be kept. You always have to keep a a copy of anything that goes out to the public so that it can be audited and you can make sure that you are doing the right thing. You're not doing anything that's misleading. You're not doing anything that is discriminatory. It can't be anything like that. Communications to retail investors have to be pre-approved and copies have to be kept, but then they also have to be filed with FINRA. So you got to do all those different things in order to stay in compliance with different FINRA guidelines. Correspondence is any written or electronic communication. So whether it is on paper and mailed out, or it's just through an email or anything else that is made available to 25 or fewer retail investors within a 30 day period. So correspondence has to be sort of a, sort of a limited audience or it can't be too many people at once. It does not have to be pre-approved or filed with FINRA. So if it's just correspondence, And so it's only sent out to 25 or fewer retail investors within a 30-day period. Then it doesn't have the same sort of oversight. So that's different than communications. Communications are those that are above that threshold. And then those are monitored. In institutional communications are those that are only made available to institutional investors. But that, that falls under communications, not correspondence. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Retail communications are those that are made available to more than 25 retail investors in a 30-day period, and those have to be monitored. But if it's something that's to a very small audience, then it's not monitored. When you file copies of communications with FINRA, you have to provide the date of its first use. So the first time that that got sent out, that needs to be on file. You also have to have the name, the title, the CRD number of the principal that approved it. I'll say I'll get, this is the person who looked over it and said it was okay, and then the date that the approval was given. So you have to have all that documented when it came out, who approved it, and so on and so forth. Communications about variable contracts have even more standards that are applied to them. The customer has to understand that they're what that they're being offered variable life insurance, and as you recall, variable life insurance has different risks where. Uh, it varies. It can go up and down. It can change in value. It's not like some uh, other kinds of insurance that have a sort of a guaranteed benefit. The benefits can fluctuate over time. And so it's a little riskier than some other kinds of insurance. You want to make sure that they completely understand that. Regardless of what the official title of the product is, they have to make sure that they understand, oh, this is actually variable life insurance. It's not a mutual fund or something else. It does not have good short-term liquidity either. So you can't turn it back into cash quickly. So you, you also have to explain the tax ramifications to the customer to make sure they understand how this will affect their income taxes, for example. FINRA stipulates that mutual funds can only be used to fund rankings in their communications if they were issued by an official Ranking entity that does not have a conflict of interest. So there are different ranking entities that's, that talk about the rank of different funds, but the, the, you can't have some sort of conflict of interest where they, the ranking entity has some direct connection to the things that it's ranking. That's not allowed. These include Lippers, Barron's, and Zach's Investment Research. Those are different ranking institutions. If you have a ranking from an official source, you still have to have all of the usual disclaimers and disclose the source of their ranking data. Say, oh, we got ranked as being a top fund by Barron and Zach's Investment Research, for example. And say, yeah, just say, this is is who ranked us. You can't just say, oh, we're number one and then not disclose where that information came from. You have to be able to show, oh, we're number one according to these people. And that's how that works. You also have to explain the rating system, such as, so say, hey, I got four stars out of, <laughs> it's a lot better if it's four stars out of five stars, that's not too bad, but if it's four stars out of ten stars, ooh, that looks a lot worse. So you have to make sure that you explain what the ranking system is as well. You can't just say, oh, I'm, I got four stars, and then, actually, that's pretty bad, <laughs> Bonds are also rated according to their volatility. So if they're volatile, then they are liable to go up and down. Thereby, they're going to change. It's not going to be so as a attractive investment to your investors. If it's a, got pretty high volatility, that's not something they're going to really like typically. And so if, if your bond has low volatility, though, and is, is nice and stable, that, on the other hand, is something that will attract investors. And so different firms will rate these bonds depending on how volatile they are. And if they're too volatile, that's going to scare people away. So this can be disclosed as well, as long as you include a prospectus with the sales literature of the bond. So you say, well, look, we got rated as being a AAA bond by so and so. Some firms use investment analysis tools. So these are programs, usually computer programs, that are meant to simulate future results. So they crunch all the numbers, they put them into a, a great big program, and they say, well, based on our past results, this is what we might be able to get from future results. But you also have to remember that that is just a simulation. You know, nothing can actually predict the future. And so it's really, really important that you remember that these predictions may or may not come true. If these results are used from these investment analysis tools, you have to disclose the criteria and the methods used, including the limits of the tool, saying, well, this, it's been a good job predicting things in the past, but of course, it's just speculation and you know you can't, you can't completely rely on what it says. There, you also have to say results vary with each user and that the results are absolutely. Thank you again for listening to this sample
0: portion of the full lesson. If you found this lesson valuable, please go to the website, series6lessons.com, and that's series, the number six, lessons.com. At the website, you will find a link to purchase the full series of audio lessons if you found this to be valuable to you. Also at the website, you can sign up to get four full-length sample lessons. Best of luck in your studies.